Liberty is more beautiful than Mozart. Liberty is more beautiful yeah. than a sunset. Liberty is more beautiful than a baby smiling. Liberty is more beautiful than love. Right. Liberty is more beautiful than everything. Yeah. I'm devoting my life to liberty. And if the chances for attaining it are good, I'll keep going. And if yeah. the chances are for bad, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Steve Rose of the Anarchist Standard. Today, I have an interview with Dr. Walter Block. And uh, the topic of the this interview is, as always, strategy. But uh, we got into... I've very somewhat philosophical discussion about whether anarchists can can be happy in the midst of a state. Can you find happiness in slavery, as I would put it? And uh, that's that's the topic. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Block. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Rose with AnarchistStandard.com. And uh, today I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. Walter Block. Dr. Block is a author of uh, libertarian and anarchist books, um, he's written many of them, but two, two of them he's probably most well-known for are uh, Defending the Undefendable and Privatization of Roads and Highways. And in, in both of those books, Dr. Block convincingly argues how a free society would be very different than the society we're living in now. In the privatization of roads and highways, he, he shows how a, uh, the complete privatization of the road system would be uh, operated more efficiently, uh, more safely, and more effectively, and, and uh, more inexpensively than the system we have now. And in Defending the Indefendable, he shows how certain activities that people might look down on and are outlawed by the state now would, would be permitted in a free society and, and, and maybe even make it a better place to live, including things like drug use, prostitution, slander, uh, blackmail, and uh, child labor. Dr. Block is a, also an academic. He's written hundreds of academic articles on these topics, and he is a professor of economics at Loyola University of Chicago. And uh, it's always of, controversial. Of New Orleans. Oh, New Orleans. Excuse me. Not Chicago. Not Chicago. New well, I don't know. That's, I don't know why I have, have that. Sorry about that. But uh, he is uh, always controversial and uh, has taken positions on things like voluntary slavery and the unions that many libertarians might uh, might not initially understand, but he's controversial in forcing people to defend their positions on our principles. So it's a great uh, honor to welcome Dr. Block. How are you, Dr. Block? Thanks for joining Pretty us. Good. And thanks for the introduction. So the idea behind this series of interviews I've been doing is to uh, try to capture leading anarchists or libertarians like yourself who who have thought about these issues for a long time capture your ideas on on strategy so you've been involved with these ideas for many decades you've thought them through probably on a deeper level than almost anyone on earth and you've seen uh, inspired people come and go you've seen organizations built and and fall apart you've seen successes and failures so what I'm trying to do is ask you to distill your knowledge for for people who are, you know, excited about the ideas and still thinking about the direction they want their life to go, what advice would you give them? Um, but as a segue, maybe ask you to, to talk for a few minutes about your own path to these ideas because this is relevant to the topic because, you know, you, it's your your one successful data point as somebody who came to the ideas and, and realized the importance of them and stuck with it. So uh, maybe can you talk for a few minutes about how how that happened for you for people who don't know? Sure, I'd be happy to. I was a, um, a student at Brooklyn College, 
uh, by the way, I went to high school with Bernie Sanders for four years. We overlapped in one year at Brooklyn College. And the views that I had when I was at Brooklyn College were roughly akin to his or uh, indistinguishable from his. We were both uh, socialists. And I was now, uh, I guess I was about a senior in college, and Ayn Rand came to lecture at Brooklyn College. And there was this big uh, auditorium, maybe 3,000 students. And I came to boo and hiss her because she favored free enterprise and capitalism. And everyone knows that that's evil and monstrous. And we need socialism if we're going to have a humane society. So I booed and hissed her along with everyone else. And uh, then afterward, someone announced that the Ayn Rand study group or whatever they were called that had invited her to speak at Brooklyn College was having a luncheon in her honor. And anyone could come, even if you disagreed. And I still disagreed. So I came and I was, you know, going to try to convert her to socialism. And uh, the lunchroom was a long, long table with Ayn Rand at the head of it. And uh, uh, Alan Greenspan was there, her chief lieutenants, uh, Nathaniel Brannon, Peacock, uh, other people like that. And uh, there must, have, must she was at the head of the table, and there must have been, say, 50 people on each side, so about 100 people at the lunch. And I was relegated to the other end of the table, and I turned to my neighbor, and I said, you know, this socialism is the way to go. Capitalism is no good. And he said, well, I don't really know all that much about it, but the people who do are at the other end of the table. So I was uh, pushy, chutzpahnik, uh, as we say, and um, I stuck my head between Ayn's and Nathan's, and I said, there's a socialist here who wants to debate someone on socialism and capitalism. And I said, who is it? And I said, me. Now, I was about 20 years old. I was a senior in college or maybe a junior, I forget. And Brandon was maybe 35 and Rand maybe 55, something like that. So I was a kid. They were adults. And uh, Brandon was very, very generous and very nice and uh, very supportive and said, look, I'll come to the other end of the table and talk to you. There's no room here uh, under two conditions. One, you have to keep uh, this conversation going until we settle it. We're not going to just have one conversation. And two, you have to read two books that I'll recommend. Well, the two books were Atlas Shrugged and Economics in One Lesson by uh, Henry Hazlitt. And I read the books, and I came to his house and to Ayn's house in, in uh, Manhattan, oh, four or five, six times, and that was it. I was converted. I was now a limited government libertarian, not an anarchist yet, mm -hmm. but a limited mm -hmm. government uh, libertarian. And, um, you know, I favored the free enterprise system. Uh, later on, uh, I met Murray Rothbard. I was now in graduate school uh, at Columbia, and... Um, Larry Moss, a classmate of mine, said, you must meet Murray Rothbard. He's an anarchist, a libertarian anarchist, a free market anarchist. I said, anarchist? That's crazy. I don't want to meet Murray Rothbard. And uh, finally, um, uh, Jerry Wallace, his roommate, and uh, Larry uh, Moss ganged up on me. I remember it was on 116th and Broadway, and they convinced me to meet Murray. And I met Murray, and Murray converted me to anarchism in about five minutes using the same arguments that I had been using uh, get, that I got from uh, Henry Hazlitt, namely market process, uh, profit and loss. If you do a good job, you'll make more money. If you do a bad job, you'll uh, lose money and you'll go bankrupt, and the remaining uh, uh, companies will be pretty good because they've met this market test. And Murray said, well, you agree it works for the post office and sanitation and this and that. Well, why not uh, for national defense or um, uh, fire protection or other things like that? Uh, he didn't get into roads at that time. I got into that much later. So that's the story of how I became an anarchist.
And my, you're mainly interested in not so much the theory of anarchism, I think, but right. strategies for approaching it, attaining it, uh, reaching it, what have you. And my suggestion is let's look at uh, all the free market a- – it has to be free market anarchists. We're not talking about Chomsky and, right. and the left-wing anarchists. They're, they're just sort of not really anarchists. Yeah. I mean, they want to have state control against uh, profit, and they want to have price controls. You know, yeah. so that's sort of really not our kind of anarchism. Okay, so I I would venture to say that if you take all the free market anarchists now on the planet, and I don't know how many there are, maybe in the in the thousands, if not the tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. And ask them who uh, was most instrumental in, in getting you to the views that you now have. I would imagine that people of my age would say Ayn Rand, and people of your age would say Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. And and those two would get I don't know 45 and 45 percent of of this imaginary vote that we're having. You know, we should really do that. What we should yeah. do is have a little you know find out. Who are the free market anarchists yeah. and ask them well, that's the first to convert you to it. Now, notice neither Rand nor Ron Paul are anarchists. Yeah. And yet uh, they uh, are responsible in, in this imaginary poll that I'm now conducting, <laughs> uh, 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 hypothetical. Uh, they are responsible, I think, for 90% of all free market anarchists right now. But they're all kind of segues to, to Rothbard, right? I mean – because well, even in your case, it was Rothbard. For me, it was Ayn Rand and Rothbard too. You know, that was a progression. So yeah. Now I, I was going to say just that that not only do we see Ron Paul and Ayn Rand are very very popular. If you ask the next hundred people walking down the street, have uh, you heard of through these people? Most a have, lot of people yeah. will have. If you ask them, have you heard of Murray Rothbard? Murray who? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they haven't heard of him. Murray Murray's role was much more uh, uh, higher in the structure of production or yeah, exactly. structure production. Uh, namely first you have to uh, get to free markets right. you have to be like Hazlitt or Mises or Hayek or, or, or Milton Friedman or someone like that who's vaguely free market and only then do you get to Rothbard um, Jerry Tuchuli once wrote a book it usually starts with Ayn Rand and what we could say is yes it usually starts with Ayn Rand but it ends with Murray Rothbard because mm-hmm. Murray is like the last uh, hurdle uh, to uh, approach anarchism from a free market point of view so my strategy is let's get another uh, Ayn Rand and let's get another Ron Paul although we still have Ron Paul thank God uh, so to speak I'm, I'm an atheist but I can use that language I suppose uh, and unfortunately, Rand Paul is no Ron Paul. Uh, he's pretty good. Give him a B minus or a B plus or whatever, but he, he's not uh, exquisite like Ron Paul. And I don't know who the next Murray Rothbard is, but we got to get more Murray Rothbards too. Uh, maybe Hans Hoppe is a, a good candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be one strategy. Let's get some people who will lead the sheep into the into the fold or whatever the, the word is. Let's get some people who will write the next Atlas Shrug, which is not an easy thing to do, or to be the next Ron Paul, which is not an easy thing to do. There's only one Ron Paul. There's only one Ayn Rand. And let's get another Murray Rothbard. And um, that would be a good strategy. Do you think that uh, 
there you would have come to these ideas had that you know that one instance sort of changed the course of your life it sounds like but because this is something i often wonder about is it's sort of a psychological thing that that brings people who are you could say really curious and open to ideas and maybe who think at a theoretical level the uh or or is it actually just that one moment in time that that caused you you know or do you think you would have got to these ideas otherwise in, in other ways you know i'm just curious well i think that you and I and others like us have a mutation, a mental mutation. Yeah. Not that we're born anarchists. I wasn't, and mm -hmm. I gather you weren't because you were converted by Ayn Rand and Murray. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we have a mutation that we're open to this. Right. Whereas most people, they're not open to this. Right. Uh, I've been married for 45 years, and my wife is a total pinko uh, Bernie Sanders commie type. Mm -hmm. uh, she threatens to out me and say, well, I've been with him for 45 years. He hasn't converted me. <laughs> anyone. Uh, she's uh, rough on me. I have a daughter who is uh, similarly viewed. Happily, my son is a libertarian. I mean, I love all three, but um, <clears throat> I think my son has that mutation that he was open to it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas my wife and daughter are just not open to it. And I've got friends who are on the left or on the right also who are not free market people. They're conservatives. And uh, they're just not open to it. There's no way you can get through to them. And I don't know what the percentage of people that have this mutation, not of being anarchist, not the anarchist mutation, but the open to argument. For Theory, anarchists. right. And I... What percentage do you think it is? Just, you know, if you had to guess, like one out of 100, one out of 10 who are like... That have this mutation? Yeah. To, to be not only a, a libertarian, because most libertarians are not anarchists. Mm, that's true. I would say, you know, my guess is that there are 10,000 libertarian anarchists on the planet. Mm -hmm. My guess is that there are 10 or 20 million libertarians on the planet, mm -hmm. mostly thanks to Ayn Rand and, and uh, Ron Paul. Mm -hmm. So the percentage of people that have that mutation that are open to anarchism is uh, one-tenth of a percent or one-hundredth of a percent of the people that have the mutation to be open to libertarianism. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very low mm -hmm. for, for libertarian anarchism. It's a little bit higher for libertarianism. So if that's, if that is, if it is a case, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's a small percentage of people who have, at this point at least, the capacity to get to these ideas because they're just not interested. How does that inform strategy? Because you know, if we're assuming that people are going to absorb our ideas, but but they're but they're not people who absorb ideas. Like, you know, what what does that say about what we need to do? Do you see? You follow what I'm saying? Oh yes, yes. I unhappily <laughs> what you're saying. I have uh, this theory. Uh, it's based on sociobiology. Mm -hmm. So let me talk just a little bit about sociobiology. Sociobiology is the theory that we are the way we are now based on what it took a million years ago, or a not a billion years, but a million years ago, or a couple of hundred thousand years ago when we were in the caves or in the trees or wherever mm -hmm. we were as uh, animals who were coming out of the caves and the trees, sort of half um, apes and half people or something. And uh, the theory is that whatever it took to leave children into the next generation, whatever nature uh, supported, that's the way we are, even though it it's a million years later. Right. For example, more people nowadays get killed by uh, bathtubs than by snakes. Hmm. Milton Friedman was killed by a bathtub. He slipped on a bathtub, hit his head, and uh, on the way to the hospital, he died. Uh -huh. uh, many, many more people are, are killed by bathtubs nowadays uh, 
or swimming pools than by snakes. Mm. And yet, if you uh, uh, throw a snake into a, a group of people, they'll recoil. Mm -hmm. And people are afraid of snakes. Whereas, you know, nobody's afraid of a bathtub, mm -hmm. right? Why? Well, because a million years ago, you had no competitive or comparative advantage in leaving uh, your genetic uh, endowment to the next generation if you were afraid of bathtubs. Mm -hmm. But you did have a, an advantage if you were afraid of snakes. If you weren't afraid, afraid of snakes, you probably didn't leave too many children to the next generation. You go up to a snake and pat it and say, are you a friendly snake? And you'd get bitten and you'd leave fewer children than other people. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, similarly, you know, uh, if a baby cries, you and I, even if it's not our child, are going to, you know, <laughs> get upset and, and try to do something because we don't like that. And if you don't have that part of in your gene pool, you're not leaving too many children to the next generation. So we are all, you know, worried about babies crying and motivated to helping them. Okay, now there are two things. Uh, one is, there are two ways that we can help each other. One is through benevolence and the other is through markets. If uh, somebody, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, comes unconscious, what you and I and all reasonable, nice people will do is, uh, try to give them a CPR or a first aid or call the, the ambulance or, you know, do something. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have great stores of benevolence. And I think in in our tribe, if you, you were sick this week, I would help you. Next week I'm sick, you help me. Our tribe lasts longer than the tribes. Uh, you're sick this week, I, I said, the hell with you. <laughs> and then next week you're not around to help me. So we are, uh, we have a mutation or we have a genetic code to help each other. Namely, we are benevolent. It's true that there's um, monsters like uh, Stalin and um, Hitler, but most people, 99% of people are decent. 99 or 98% of people are not criminals. They're not rapists. They're not murderers. And if they see somebody in need, they'll help them and, and they'll give charity. So this is deeply embedded in us. Mm -hmm. What's not deeply embedded in us is appreciation for free enterprise. Why? Because a million years ago, if you had this uh, genetic uh, ability to be uh, appreciative of free enterprise, it didn't help you because mm -hmm. there wasn't much free enterprise right. going on then. Mm -hmm. uh, so I get classes. I get freshmen every year when I teach introductory economics and uh, they're all very nice kids or 99% of them are nice kids and yet when I mention a thing like the minimum wage they cringe of course you have to have a minimum wage you have to help people mm -hmm. and I'm in New Orleans now not Chicago New Orleans and we had <laughs> Katrina um, a while back in 08 or 05 I forget when it was and we had this thing called a price gouging namely yeah. when uh when we have very little supply of stuff, the price goes up. And we know as economists, or people interested in economics, that this has salutary effects. Right. Because uh, if we are at the old low prices, the first uh, 100 people into Walmart at, uh, are going to buy a, a dozen gallons of orange juice and they're going to buy 100,000 uh, diapers and they're going to stock up because they're afraid that this will be it. Mm -hmm. And the people at the end of the line won't get any. Whereas if the price of orange juice, instead of uh, $2 a glass, is uh, $20 a glass, we are now going to act uh, in a benevolent way. We're going to act as if... Un we are, unwittingly. 
unwittingly, yeah. uh, led by Adam Smith's invisible hand to yeah. say, look, the orange juice is $20 a glass. I'll take one or two glasses. And, and I don't care about the people in the back. Yeah. Uh, but now the people in the back will also get some because I'm not hogging it all up. Mm-hmm. And the same with gasoline. Instead of uh, you know two or three bucks a gallon, if it was 30 bucks a gallon, you'd get two gallons and you'd leave some for other people. So uh, high prices have one benefit. And the other thing is, uh, which city are you in? Uh, D.C. You're in D.C. Okay. Yeah. So here's New Orleans and we're in trouble and we need all the help we can get. And you have two motivations to help us. One is the, to bring some ice or to bring some orange juice down to New Orleans. Right. One is benevolence. And you're a nice guy and you'll probably help. Mm-hmm. But we want to mobilize all human emotions to get us help. And the other <clears throat> motivation for you to bring a truckload of uh, diapers or <clears throat> whatever it is, is um, profit. Profit percent. Profit. profit. <clears throat> Obviously profit. And if we have a price gouging rule that you have to bring it down at the old prices, the old low prices. Not going to uh, happen. It's not going to. Well, it will happen it might based happen, on banana. Not, not as many people. But it won't happen. Right. right it, not as many people. And they won't be as well motivated because, because of sociobiology. Namely, a million years ago um, – <laughs> You had benevolence, but you didn't have an appreciation of markets. Mm-hmm. But so, so what you're saying is, is, is the people are – they're benevolent emotionally and the people around them, but they don't intellectualize it. And, and if that's – it's sort of instinctive. But if that's the case, do we have any hope of achieving a free society? How do we overcome that, I guess? Is, yes, in about a million years. You think that's how long you think it's going to take, really? Well, maybe, maybe 100,000 years. Ah. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. But biology takes a long time. But I mean, isn't isn't the human evolution the ability to to have? I mean, we have culture, right? I mean, that that over like we we can respond different ways to different things. So, um, doesn't that give us the ability to change? To, to to you know, I mean, Ayn Rand would say nothing is an instinct, right? So she would probably push back on on that sociobiology thesis, right? She would say everything's programmed, which maybe I don't agree with that, but you know. Well, I, I, I'm a moderate on this. I think that there are – if you don't want to call them instincts, okay, yeah. fine, but call them tendencies or uh-huh. something or <clears throat> call it mutations or intellectual DNA. I'm not sure what to call it. Mm-hmm. But look, I just gave the case for pessimism. Right. Now let me give the case for optimism. Please. The case for optimism is <laughs> – when I met Murray in 1966, maybe late 65, I forget, I asked – how many libertarians were there in the whole world? And you know what he said? 25. Oh, yeah? He said 25. Wow. In the whole world. And Murray would be in a position to know. Yeah. Because Murray was sort of like the spider in the middle of the libertarian web. Murray was Mr. Libertarian, and mm-hmm. Murray uh, will always be Mr. Libertarian. And he might have been wrong. I mean, maybe there were 50. And maybe there were uh, 15. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, well, if he says 25, he probably knew 25. Mm-hmm. But maybe, uh, let's say there were 100. Well, that was 65. Now it's um, 50 years later, um, 15, 16, 51 years later. How many libertarians now are there in the world? Well, previously, our estimate was tens of millions, mm-hmm. thanks to mm-hmm. Ayn Rand and Ron Paul. Yeah. So there, here's the case for optimism. That it's not just genetic, it's not just biology, there's also rationality. Mm-hmm. And we've got Ayn Rand out there making magnificent strides with her book and with her lectures and with her writings. We've got um, 
Uh, Hayek won a Nobel Prize. Milton Friedman's got the Free to Choose series. Now, Hayek and Friedman aren't really uh, solid libertarians, but what the heck? You know, we'll take them. If you want to be big tent about it, we'll take them. Uh, and we have yourself and myself. Mm -hmm. We are promoting liberty. Uh, you're uh, interviewing me. I uh, write books, and, and uh, this URL will now appear, and maybe some person will see this and, and uh, be motivated to read something that uh, Ayn Rand wrote or Murray Rothbard wrote or Ron Paul wrote, and we'll get one more person because of this interview. And we've now got 10 million in the world, many of whom are pushing it, some of whom are not. Mm -hmm. For example, my son, he's a uh, computer nerd. He, he, his profession is not to pr promote libertarianism. Right. He makes computers run better. So he, and many uh, doctors and, and lawyers and, uh, I don't know, uh, plumbers are libertarians, and their profession is not to promote liberty or, or their avocation or their hobby is not to. Well, uh, let me ask, let me interview you for a minute. <laughs> what do you do for a living? Uh, I was uh, I was an editor at a, a news organization for for four and a half years, and I, I left last summer. and I wrote a wrote a book, and now I'm starting a, a, a company. It's a software. So. Oh, so you're a computer nerd also? So yeah. You're, you're I don't do this for a profession. I do this out so of avocation. So your profession is not to promote liberty. So yeah. nine to five, 40 hours a week, you're not promoting liberty. Yeah. You're promoting uh, uh, development of economics. You're making computers run better. Uh, and you spend, oh, five, ten hours a week uh, on your hobby. Right. I am a full-time uh, libertarian or promoter of liberty and, and economics, which I see as part and parcel of it. And so of these 10 million, I don't know how many are full-time. Uh, call it 2 million, to just guess. And how many are part-time? Another 2 million. And probably 6 million out of the 10 million are, are uh, not at all. Mm. Uh, they'll, they'll vote for the Libertarian Party or they'll, uh, they'll talk to their neighbor or their friend or whatever. Uh, so that would be the case for optimism. Namely, we are growing and people are pushing it. Mm -hmm. Let me push back a little bit on that because I would say that there's very few like full-time. I mean, you, you obviously do this full-time and, and there are other academics who, who, who have been, found a way to make a living. But but for many people uh, who 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 maybe they have absorbed the ideas at some point and sort of intellectually uh, recognize the truth to them, they don't speak up. You know, they don't. They actually they sort of suppress it in their own life. Why? Because they know they're inherently provocative ideas, and in any social circle, there's always there's there will certainly be people. Like I had a friend told me recently, he was out. And somebody started talking about America is the only country without uh, maternity leave, right? Which is – we know that's a stupid statement. America is nothing. It's individual companies, you know. But um, he didn't say anything even though he's an anarchist. Why? Because he knows everyone at the table is going to be jumping on him, you know. So, so isn't I, there I, like I, – I stand corrected by you. What I said were there were three categories. There are really four. Uh -huh. The three categories I said is full-time libertarians – part-time libertarians such as yourself, mm -hmm. and then people who uh, aren't really making it a hobby like five or ten hours a week, but, you know, when they're at a, a party or a, a dance or a dinner uh, with their neighbors or with their relatives, they'll speak up. Uh -huh. And then there's a fourth category, yeah. namely people who are afraid Sh to speak up. Shameful, the shamed. <laughs> right. I have a friend, uh, Michael Edelstein, who uh, – 
his family, whenever they get together, he's Jewish, and they'll get together for Jewish holidays, and uh, they're all a bunch of pinkos, yeah. and they're all yakking about, uh, you know, how great pinkoism is. And when he pipes up, they don't invite him to the Seder anymore. Right, exactly. So he's very courageous, so he will speak up anyway. It's mm -hmm. hard to shut him up. But there are a lot of people who realize, uh, suppose there was some other libertarian in Michael's family, and they saw that he was banned from uh, from the gatherings. Well, then they're not going to speak up. So you're right. quite right. There is this fourth category that I missed, namely libertarians who are afraid to speak up. And look, uh, I'm in academia, and uh, one of the reasons I didn't get tenure uh, until I was 61 years old mm. was because I have a big mouth. I should have shut up when I didn't have tenure and just write about very pedestrian economic things. And then when I got tenure, I could open my, my mouth. But uh, So there's a lot of um, impetus not to speak up as a, a, a professor because you're not going to get tenure mm. if, if you uh, out yourself. I mean, you can out yourself as gay and that's fine, but you can't out yourself as a free market person or certainly a free market anarchist. Mm -hmm. My advice to young uh, professors is shut up and write stuff about, you know, uh, that nobody disagrees with and can, or very few people disagree with. Mm. Uh, they say when they train you to um, be a soldier, keep your head down. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll get blown off. Well, keep your head down. But you don't actually suggest people do that, right? I mean, you, you, you want them to speak out, don't you? No, no, no. I want them when, uh, for academics who are uh, on a tenure-track position. Yeah. I want you to keep quiet for six years <laughs> and write stuff about uh, econometrics or something yeah. not controversial. And then when you get tenure, you can speak up. Right, but then what happens – Because all too many people well, – I was going to say well, like uh, – with danger. Sorry, go ahead. There is a danger that if you shut up for six years and you do stuff that isn't uh, uh, libertarian, you'll sort of forget about it. Exactly. That's a danger. And this is a uh, – well, we're having a strategic discussion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not sure I'm right. I'm not sure you're right in criticizing me. Mm -hmm. Maybe the truth is halfway. Mm -hmm. Maybe for some people it's better. For other people not. I, You know, what did I say? This is not praxeology. This is not logic. This is um, – uh, you know, common sense or it's an empirical issue. Yeah. I mean, you think about like uh, Rand, Rand Paul, for example. I would bet you in his heart of hearts, Rand Paul is basically an anarchist. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But then he goes out into the political sphere and he keeps making these statements over and over again and people still don't trust him. So he's got to like do things to prove to them that he's like he's a statist, you know. Then eventually he get. let's say he became president at some point. It's like – He's forgotten it. He's he's betrayed himself, and and it's he's internalized these things, you know. So it's that's a danger, you know. Uh, well, this is a matter of prudential judgment. There's mm -hmm. no one right answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if Ron Paul had uh, two Rand Paul sons, maybe the strategy, best strategy for one of them, is to out. Uh, mm -hmm. be out of the closet and maybe the strategy for the other one is to you know keep your head down mm -hmm. i don't know i'm not sure uh, we're just speculating here nobody can say well here's the proof that you're right or that i'm right mm -hmm. i do want to mention one other thing uh, while we're discussing strategy and that's the mises institute mm -hmm. i'm a big big fan of the mises institute uh the mises institute is sort of more in, in your line of thinking whereas reason and cato are more um uh, in the closet yeah or or well, maybe they're maybe they're really libertarians, but what they say is, 
sort of like Milton Friedman and Hayek, uh, those would be their heroes, yeah. whereas Murray Rothbard wouldn't be their hero, whereas Murray Rothbard would be the hero of the Mises Institute. Mm. And um, my own personality is to support being out of the closet, you know, just telling the truth and, and the hell with the repercussions. Right. Uh, maybe I'm just getting um, uh, wimpy in my old age about telling people to shut up while they're trying to attend. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, probably if I had it to do it over again, I would have shut up for my first really? six years and got. Wow. Right? Yeah. Because you know, I I was kicked out of many many jobs. But aren't I you proud? Of, aren't you proud that you've held the line? You know, that's courageous. You know, I mean, that well, takes. Well, I, I like to think that I'm one of the people that if I shut up for six years, I still would have kept the, yeah. the fire in the belly. Only I would have had tenure a lot earlier and maybe at a more prestigious university mm. than the one that I'm at now. Mm. Uh, so I think, uh, on the other hand, if I'm the person that if I leave it for six years, I lose it, well, better to keep keep going. Right. So what I'm saying is, you know, once it comes to strategy, see, when it comes strategy and tactics are a different kind of a thing than what's righteous or deontology. Right. On that, I, I'm very, very clear. I know, you know, the non-aggression principle and private property rights, and that's it. Mm. And that leads inexorably to anarchism of a free market variety. Fine. But when it comes to what's the best way to promote that, is the best way to promote that through novels like Ayn Rand or uh, Ron Paul never wrote a novel. Uh, Murray Roth, well, Murray Rothbard did write one one fiction piece. Uh, uh, his play uh, was Mozart or Red, <laughs> but you know Murray Murray is not known as as a fiction, fiction writer. writer. Yeah. Although, so what's the best way? Is it uh, to have a, a movie star or a, a Elvis Presley? Or I mean, suppose Elvis was converted to libertarianism. Uh -huh. Well, that would have been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, or uh, suppose uh, LeBron James became a libertarian. That's pretty good. So should we tell uh, libertarians to become basketball players or to become singers or novelists? I don't know. Mm. Uh, any of these are possible. Uh, my own way is nonfiction and you know writing about economics and, and, and law uh, or libertarian law. Uh, but if somebody said, well, no, the, the way to go is to get more Ayn Rands and let them write novels. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It doesn't make, I, I wouldn't agree with that, but I couldn't say that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, because look at Ayn Rand. Or maybe is the right way to go into politics. Yeah. Well, Ron Paul went into politics, and look how well he did. So you that's good. So would you say that there's, and I know you've written about this, like how, and and that's one of the, sort of a controversial position you've taken is is to, I guess I don't know. Like it seems to me uh, on this issue of 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 being outspoken and maybe offending people and 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 taking the consequences like you've done. I'm like that too, you know. See, it seems to me like what what happens in that case, like your friend, he he speaks up at the family gathering, doesn't get invited. What does he do at the next holiday? Well, he doesn't have anywhere to go. So he calls his libertarian friends. And see, so the implication of doing that is it forces you to find people who agree with you. And then we create these communities that are sort of outside of the, you know, and, and so it does have positive implications too, you know what I mean? On the other hand, you know, he loves his cousins. He right. loves his sister. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm just saying it's not that clear. Yeah. Uh, it's a matter of prudential judgment. It, it's, you know, look, take Wendy McElroy. Yeah. She's a very, very solid anarcho-libertarian, but she doesn't believe in politics. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had debates with her, 
is getting into politics a violation of libertarian theory? And she says, yes, I say no. Mm -hmm. But forget about that for the moment. We're talking strategy here. Is getting into politics a good strategy to promote liberty? And here, I'm I'm not all that clear. I say, well, on the one hand, uh, Ron Paul did very, very well. On the other hand, a lot of people like Rand Paul have to compromise in order to become senator or to become president, and maybe that's not so good. So my view is that it's unclear. Mm. Uh, why can't I strongly defend the view that strategy is unclear, that it's mm. just a matter of prudential judgment, it's mm. an empirical uh, question, and what works in the United States might not work in Britain or Australia or Mexico or whatever? Well, the problem with having that view that it's unclear is that it, it – so Mises said that people don't act in less – unless they believe that their action are going to resolve a felt uneasiness, right? If our felt uneasiness is the state, unless you can convince them of, of, a, of a strategy that is clear and, and comprehensible to them, they're, they're not, they may not be motivated to, because to, to, it takes work to promote our ideas, you know what I mean? So it's like we need to have some sort of, we need to give people something, it seems to me, you know? Look, there are many ways of promoting liberty. I'm at a university. You're the interviewer. There's the Free State Project. Everyone should go to New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. There's uh, think tanks like the Mises, and I'll include Cato and Reason. There's uh, state think tanks. There's uh, seasteading. There's uh, uh, literature. There's uh, music. Uh, I think some musicians are libertarians. Uh, there's boxing. There's going into basketball and becoming a star. There are many, many ways of it. You know what my advice is? Right. Do what's fun. Mm. Do what is the most fun. I have a, a colleague, uh, Bill Barnett, who I uh, co-author a lot of articles with. And sometimes we've got three or four articles going. And he'll say, well, which one should I work on? And my answer is, do whichever one is fun. Mm-hmm. Because if you have fun, you'll be uh, more motivated to keep going. Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. we're supposed to have fun in life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Life isn't supposed to be miserable. You're, not, you're supposed to be happy. You're mm-hmm. supposed to have fun. Mm-hmm. So you know, if I were to tell you, look, stop interviewing people. And start writing a, a song, and and assuming that songs are not your thing, right. and it wouldn't be fun. It would be sort of like uh, pulling teeth out of you to to make you a, a songwriter. Well, don't become a songwriter, even if songwriting is the best thing mm. in some objective sense. Stick to what is fun, and mm. and what you're doing now is fun because you're doing it and you're not being paid for it. Uh, so it's fun. So my advice to libertarians is. Do what's fun. Go to New Hampshire. Uh, uh, contribute. Become a businessman. Make a lot of money and, and donate money to the Mises Institute. Or another thing is come study with me at Loyola. Uh, we need students. And, and it's not only me, but I have Bill Barnett and I have three or four or five or six, seven or eight other professors at, at uh, Loyola who are free market. Mm-hmm. We've only got about 250 uh, uh, professors here. So the proportion is very, very high. Whereas there are universities – Students write to me all the time, and I say, well, how many uh, libertarian professors are there? None. Now, there might be some that are in the closet and these students don't know about, but uh, we've got seven or eight people, well, one's half in the closet uh, at Loyola, which is really amazing. So another way to promote liberty is go get a PhD in economics or philosophy or history or something like that and and, uh, try to uh, espouse the views in academia. I mean, academia is really a cesspool. Mm-hmm. Uh, intellectually, you got the what is it? Trigger warnings and uh, free spaces, safe spaces, yeah. spaces and you know uh, the university is sort of a 
a totally owned subsidiary of the left. Now, there are other ways. Hayek talks about secondhand dealers of ideas and uh, other ways to become a journalist or become a lawyer. Or a, 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 you see, a, a lawyer can promote liberty by uh, Institute of Justice right. uh, is a way of promoting liberty. Uh, they're suing the government for doing bad things. Whereas if you become a doctor, you can't uh, do it as your profession. Because a doctor is supposed to, you know, fix your body up and, and uh, that doesn't, I mean, it's compatible with liberty, but it's not promoting liberty. Whereas a profession of, uh, say, a, a minister or, or a, a, a pastor or a, a priest mm-hmm. or a rabbi, mm-hmm. they also, part of their job is to talk, give a sermon. And part of their sermon could be the evils of the state or whatever it is, or the benefits of the market or, or economic freedom. So another piece of advice to people is go into a profession where you can promote liberty as at least part of your profession Mm -hmm. and pick the profession that you most like. So that would be my advice to, to people. Yeah, just a uh, just a, a little pushback on the on the you know pick what's fun because see to to me it's, it, it I just feel like I'm in prison you know like it's and it's it, it fills me with rage you know because it's like like I'm 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 just I'm and I think a lot of anarchists feel this way it's like we're held back by these people they don't recognize that they're holding these chains on us and it's and 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 if you're in a if you're in prison you know you want to get out and you want to you're you're willing to work you know like but you want someone to tell you how to get how to get free, you know, like that's the main thing. Like I, I, I can do work even if it's not like I'm I'm passionate about it, but I'm not like necessarily enjoying it while I'm doing it, you know. But uh, I don't know, because it, it, it's like we don't want people to be happy in slavery, right? Or you, or, or you, you would say maybe yes. You oh, know? I would say yes, yes. I disagree with you. You say yes. Look, be yeah, happy look, in slavery. First of all. I say, don't get mad, get even. Uh huh. Right. Don't get, don't make yourself miserable. Yeah. Uh, this friend of mine, Michael Edelstein, who's a libertarian psychologist, and I think I'm now channeling him. He would say, <laughs> look, you're only gonna. How old are you? Thirty-seven. You only have another fifty, sixty years to go. Be happy, for God's sakes. Don't be miserable. Well, I'm like, I'm I like say, as you said, I want to get even. My happiness would be would be justice. You know, bringing these people down and making know. them see it. You know, that's what I would bring joy to I, my life. <laughs> yeah, but, but you're, you're not going to get that. Oh, well, come oh, look, on, baby. Look, there's one other strategy that I'm very much against, and that is picking up a gun and assassinating somebody. I think that would be very, very bad. Uh, I mean, we're talking strategy, so we might as well talk about right. strategy where we disagree or the strategies well, that I disagree that be on. Bad? As somebody I who's wrote Defending the Undefendable, let's talk seriously. Well, well, why would that be bad according to our ideas? Be very bad strategy. I didn't say it would be uh, wrong. Okay, why I, I would it be bad strategy? Because uh, the hearts and the minds of the people are not yet one. They would see anyone who assassinated a politician as a terrorist. Would they? And would they, uh, I mean, if people, if someone assassinated Hillary Clinton, like, would would people really care? I think people would probably be very happy about it. Oh no no no! no. Oh so? no no! If anyone assassinated Hillary or Donald or Bernie or or any of those people, uh, my assessment is that the state would be much more draconian than it is now. Well, I right. think it's a very the, bad idea. The state would maybe, but the people themselves would probably support that, don't you think? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Even though they kill people all the time and everyone, you know. 
You know, it's okay to kill uh, ragheads. So it's okay to right. it's okay to kill people in uh, Iraq. I mean, that they're they're subhuman. Right. I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, yeah, if the New York Times is listening in on this, they'll they'll quote me <laughs> as saying that yeah. I believe in this. I'm, I'm saying this sarcasm. You're, you're, you're on records now. <laughs> Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll black. I'll, you, you pay me some money. I won't publish this. <laughs> That's legal. I'm in right? trouble now. But obviously, I'm just kidding about yeah. that. In the minds of most people, these they're just foreigners. They're subhuman, and and if they don't do what we say, we should kill them. No, I I think it, it would be a devastating, horrible thing if. Anyone were to pick up a gun or a bomb or something and start uh, uh, killing American uh, politicians as a strategy. We're talking about strategy now. I think it's a very, very bad strategy. Mm -hmm. And look, this thing about getting mad and getting even. Mm -hmm. you, look, we're not slaves. I mean, to well, say that we are now slaves of the government is uh, uh, hyper language. It's uh, not accurate. I mean, look, we're talking. Mm -hmm. uh, in some countries, if we said this, like in Turkey or I don't know what, what countries there would be if we made – I mean, they have laws in, in Turkey and in some parts of Europe to insult the dictator is to go to jail. Mm -hmm. Well, we're insulting – I mean, we haven't mentioned uh, Obama or Bush or anyone like that. But, you know, our views on Obama are not very positive. If we started talking about him, we'd insult him. Look, there are some countries where – if you do that, you go to jail or you get assassinated. Mm. Uh, Egypt, uh, there are many countries like that, right. uh, Arab countries. So to say that we're enslaved, I think, is is highly inaccurate. Well, we're not enslaved. You can pick your profession. You can be a, to a journalist. Extent, you can... I couldn't be a bank. I mean, like, you know, you ever read Uncle Tom's Cabin? Yes. You know, so so he, he was a good slave master. You know, he, he cared about his slaves and stuff, and they were treated well. So... But it, but it's still the principle. I mean, that's that's our position, right? We believe that it, on a, from a philosophical, ethical perspective, there's, you know, uh, it's it's a, it's equivalent to slavery. Don't you you disagree with that, huh? Just because the word is provocative. No, no, we want accuracy here. We want the truth, mm -hmm. and and there is such a thing as slavery, and right. we had it up until 1865, and it's very different the way those slaves were treated is very different than the way you and I are treated. Now, look, we have to pay half of our uh, uh, GDP or half of our income in, in uh, the form of uh, taxes. And you could say it's slave-ish or slave-like, but it's mm -hmm. not slavery. Okay. I mean, yes, you can't become a doctor unless you've passed certain tests, right. uh, but you could become a plumber. Although nowadays, uh, if you want to drive a Uber, you're in trouble. Yeah. So we don't disagree as to the facts. We disagree as to what you're going to call this. Right. And I think to call it slavery is uh, way over the top. We uh, are not slaves. Yeah. And um, we can be happy right now. I'm pretty happy. I mean, I'm doing what I love. It's true that the government hems us in and the government kills innocent people all over the place. And not only all over the place in other countries, it kills people on the roads. I mean, 30, 32,000 people die on the, the government highways, and, and that's, in effect, murder. And they have the drug laws, which uh, encourage people to kill each other. And then we have minimum wage laws, which encourage uh, young black men to kill each other because they're bored, because they're unemployed. Look, we don't disagree on any of that, but we want accuracy. And, mm -hmm. and, and the call to mm -hmm. slavery, I mm -hmm. think, is um, uh, not accurate but i mean we i guess like for me it just seems like we you don't want people to be contented you know you want people in our movement to discover our ideas see i often thought about this like it's a good thing to to 
for people to be outraged and, and, and anger because it gives them energy to fight, you know? And, and so that, that's like a, that's a, you know, can't, can't we be both? Can't we be can, contented? I don't know. Can we? Uh, it's, yeah. I I'm think con- about I'm that. Con- part of me is contented. I'm pretty happy. I, I make a decent salary. I do stuff I love. I have a family. I have friends. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I'm outraged by the government. Mm-hmm. Why can't we be both? Why because if you're, be because if you're, let's say, let's say, for example, like your family or friends, you know, if you're so outraged that this is just constantly top of your mind, you just you insist it stops. Anytime you're in a situation where someone brings that up, you're, you're looking to attack. You know, you're looking to to, to crush that and and. And and you know then then you then you're spreading that message more. But if you're sort of sitting back and, and you're you're happy, but yes, you're outraged philosophically, but you're not feeling it emotionally, you don't do it. You know, I'm just put, I'm just putting ideas out there. You know, for discussion no, no, purposes. I, I hear you. Yeah. We're having a brainstorming yeah. session, and uh, I enjoy this, and I think uh, it's uh, of interest to other libertarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I insist uh, against your pushback mm. that we can have both. Uh, what do the feminists say? You can have it all, baby, or you can have it all. <laughs> we libertarians can have it all. I am outraged as much as anyone. I uh, I will um, uh, I say that I'm. No one is more outraged than I about the government. Mm-hmm. I'm very very outraged, and I work very hard at undermining uh, the government because mm-hmm. the government is evil. Mm-hmm. On the other hand. I have hobbies. I have friends. I have family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm enjoying my conversation with you. I'm content in in one aspect of my life, and in another aspect of my life, I'm not content. And you seem to think it's an all or none thing. Either you're outraged, in which case you'll be a libertarian uh, and miserable, mm-hmm. or you're content, in which case you won't uh, do any good work. Mm-hmm. Well, I stand before you as a counterexample. <laughs> I'm a happy person, and I'm also outraged at the government, and other aspects of my life are very good. I love Mozart. Mm. Mozart is magnificent. I mean, he's a, my he's a total God, socialist. Mozart, <laughs> Mozart is, brings joy to my life. Yeah. And Bach, too, and Handel and Haydn and Vivaldi and the, and the boys. Uh, does that mean that I'm, I'm less of a libertarian or less of an activist libertarian? Right. No. What you know? What I do when I write, I listen to Mozart. Mm. I get inspired by Mozart, and I do better stuff. Mm. So I I can have it all, and mm. I urge you and all of our listeners to have it all. You can be happy, and you can be content, and you can be a miserable burr under their saddles, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of something Lenin said: is that you know he couldn't he couldn't listen to Beethoven because it would make him too soft, and and that so that's sort of. That's sort of his perspective, but okay, that's his perspective, right. and no, I hear what you're saying. If that's your thing, fine. Mm-hmm. But I am as dedicated to libertarianism as he was dedicated to killing people and mass murder right. and, and communism. Yeah, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me just sort of uh, try to abstract up a little bit because okay, we are anarchists, are libertarian anarchists. We believe a free society is achievable, right? That's 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 our conviction, or we wouldn't be doing this. So what I, w- I want to try to do is ask you. In your experience of 40, 50 years, you know, thinking about these, if you would, if you could envision how we are going to get there, because you do believe we will, or you, or you wouldn't be doing it, we could, what is the easiest path? How would you see that coming about? I mean, do you have well, anything I, come in your mind? Well, look, you know, I gave you the case for pessimism and I gave you the case for optimism. Yeah. I think we will in about 100,000 years. Yeah. 
Okay. I, I don't think that we're going to achieve liberty, and I don't give a good goddamn whether we uh, do it well. I shouldn't say I don't care whether we do or not because I really want to. Yeah. But but my life will not change at all mm. based on whether I think the case for optimism, the case for pessimism is correct. I'm going to still do the same thing. Mm-hmm. If if you told me and you were God and, and you said, look, you, we're never going to have liberty, my life wouldn't change one bit because mm. I enjoy doing this mm. so much. Mm. It's the, mm. it's almost Mozart-like. Yeah. Not that yeah. I'm comparing myself with Mozart, but I'm trying to emulate. I'm trying to channel him. I'm trying to do for libertarianism what he did for music. Mm. And and if you told me and I believed you that we'll never achieve any liberty, look, if I were on a desert island, I'd still do it. If Why? I were on a desert island and I had – because – because There's nothing it, to talk about then. No, no, no. If I were on a desert island and I had a piece of paper, I would write uh, about liberty because it's in me and I got to get it out of me. But the, and if it doesn't get out of me, I'm going to burst. <laughs> so it, to me, you see, I, I don't – you know, my uh, fires of liberty burn brightly. Very brightly, more brightly than yours, I think, based on what you're now saying, because what you're now saying is that if there were no chance, then you'd sort of give it up. And I'm not giving up at all. I don't care whether the chances are zero or 100 percent or somewhere in the middle. I'm going to keep promoting liberty the best uh, I can because it's it's glorious. Yeah. Yeah. You made a comment one time about how this is just it's the most beautiful thing. And I agree with you. These ideas, they're like as hard as a diamond. You know, I mean, it's just. It's just liberty is more beautiful than Mozart. Liberty is more beautiful than Mozart. Liberty is more beautiful than a sunset. Liberty is more beautiful than a baby smiling. Liberty is more beautiful than love. Liberty is more beautiful than everything. I'm devoting my life to liberty, and if the chances for attaining it are good, I'll keep going. And if the chances are for bad, it doesn't matter. Liberty, liberty, liberty. Yeah, totally. Live it, live it, breathe it, dream it. You know, like Bob Dylan said, "Live it, breathe it, dream it." You know, sing it. And reflect from the mountains. And be happy while you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, uh, I usually go about an hour, so we've got a few more minutes, but uh, something I've emailed you about, just one idea is, is... is maybe try, trying to – I know you're a devout atheist, right? And I'm, I'm sort of agnostic. I don't really know what, what, what's out there. But, but isn't there – I mean, couldn't one strategy be where we try to encode our ideas into an organization where we can, where we can promote these ideas similar to how like the churches or, or religions do with parables? And we – because a lot of people are not really – are not intellectual. Like you were saying, this is sort of a mutation, right? But most people sort of take guidance from people around them. And if we created an organization where people could become members of our organization, if you're a member, you have to toe the line, you know, because you're a member. Um, that would be a way of bringing more people in and bringing money into our movement. What, what do you think about that? <clears throat> well, first, let me just say that I'm a um, an atheist, but I'm a religious. Uh, I'm a supporter of religion. Oh, yeah. Sort of a okay. contradiction mm-hmm. because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, mm-hmm. and my enemy is the state. Mm-hmm. And I notice, how does the state treat religion? Not too well. Mm -hmm. In the Soviet Union, very, very badly. Here, what are they doing? They're forcing uh, people to uh, 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 engage in uh, gay weddings, uh, the baker and and the florist, and and they're now going to tell ministers and and clergymen that you have to uh, uh, support gay uh, gay rights or whatever it is, and uh, uh, you know with abortion with, with the, the Catholic Church. So 
uh, I'm not. I I believe that the case for God is roughly the case for Santa Claus or the mm-hmm. Easter Bunny, namely, is just silly. But these people uh, support it, and uh, some of my best friends are uh, believers, and some of the best libertarians, uh, 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 Lou Rockwell, Tom Woods, uh, uh, Bob Murphy, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, uh, Guido Holtzman, uh, are very very religious people. And uh, they're magnificent libertarians. So, you know, one of the bad things of Ayn Rand was uh, she was not a devout atheist of the sort that I am, but she was a vicious hater of religion. And I'm not. I'm a supporter of religion. And one of the problems of the libertarian movement is that it's uh, – it. Denigrates uh, religious people. I have a friend uh, uh, who's a minister, uh, Larry Bean, and he goes to a uh, a libertarian uh, gathering, and he gets some prostitute or ex-prostitute who comes up in front of his wife and his ten-year-old son and starts talking about her um, her activities. Namely, because he's wearing a collar, and he's and she thinks that no religious person should be a libertarian. Well. I mean, talk about strategy. <laughs> that's mean, not going to that's not going to win hearts and minds. No, it's not going to win the hearts and minds of, of libertarians to say that if you believe in God, um, you can't be a libertarian. I mean, that's that's super crazy. Yeah. That, that's barking mad. So here, uh, I think, I mean, Ayn Rand made great contributions to, to the liberty movement, even though she didn't consider herself a libertarian. She dismissed us as hippies of the right. But this idea that uh, religious people can't be libertarians and therefore we, we uh, eschew uh, half the human race or three-quarters of the human yeah. race or 90% of the human race, and we say that they can't be libertarians, well, that, that's just preposterous. Mm-hmm. But, but isn't – just just again, I, I agree with you. I'm sympathetic to religion too even though I don't believe in it, but – but uh, isn't just to push push down like a, you know I don't like to get into conflicts with religious people, but there is sort of an, an inconsistency, right? Because if you believe there's a sovereign above me, then then that you know whether the you know if the, you say like the if the Christians ever take over the state, they're not going to allow us to do like the undefendable things you're saying should be allowed, right? So I mean there is an inconsistency at the root, even though you might not want to bring flesh it out for strategic reasons, don't you agree? Well yeah, but then what you're saying what you're really saying is that you can't be a consistent religious libertarian. Mm-hmm. And my friends, the people that I just mentioned who are religious libertarians, would say no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, religion is the relation of man and God. God is going to get you uh-huh. if you become a prostitute or you violate the Ten Commandments or whatever. But libertarianism is not the relation of man and God. It's the relation of people. Yeah. And these libertarians would say, look, we are against prostitution, uh-huh. for example. And, uh, but we don't think there should be any law against it. Right. Which is compatible with libertarianism. Mm. Look, I don't do drugs. I don't uh, do prostitution. I, I wouldn't want my daughter to be a prostitute. Right. If she were, I wouldn't want to go to jail, but I wouldn't want to be a prostitute. So I oppose prostitution, but I, I'm, I don't favor a law against prostitution. Well, that's a perfectly coherent view, and a lot of religious libertarians could take that uh, perspective. Well, it's about 11 o'clock, so yeah. we've got to end up, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Finally, finally get a chance to meet you. So, and thanks for all the great work you did, Dr. Block. I've enjoyed reading your stuff, so I'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. Yes, thanks for having me on, the, on your show. I really enjoyed this. Okay, have a good one. Take care.